My role as a counselor provided me a vantage that I thought was so valuable for classroom teachers that they didn't have. I had information siloed with me, and the teachers that were seeing them day in, day out didn't have that information. So I thought we need to break up these silos of the school, as well as get everybody on the same page that we've all agreed on what our belief system is, and we're all using the same language. This is Mary McDonald, and you're listening to Voices from the Field, insights from educators who are positively impacting student learning in the classroom. In this episode, Joe Anderson, co-executive director of the Consortium for Educational Change, speaks with Angela Jarabek, executive director of the Bar Center. Angela talks about her experience helping schools meet the academic, social, and emotional needs of all students using the Bar model. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you did in schools, and how it is that you came upon uh, the idea for Bar and started it and cold, snowy Minnesota. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much yes. for having us, and thank you so much for kind of this getting to know each other over the past year. So the origin of BAR, as well as a bit of my history, is um, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I worked in St. Louis Park High School, which is a first-ring suburb right outside of Minneapolis, and in 1998, I was the counselor for the ninth grade, and it was our fifth year that we had half of the students fail a course. I had tried all of the best practices that I was aware of. So I was going to the feeding junior high to kind of identify the at-risk kids. I was working with the teachers and I continued to not be successful. And I knew how important ninth grade passing was to have students graduating in four years. So I went to the administrator at the time to tenure my resignation. I said, I'm clearly not good at this. This is something that is really important. And I had a fantastic administrator who both framed it larger and said, it's not just you. It's not just our high school. This is a national issue. Um, so provided this broader context and then the challenge. And he said, you really should come up with another model you know, to address this. And sometimes when you're young and naive, you don't know better. And so I'm like, I really should. And so that was the beginning of BAR. And, and this was about what time frame? 1998. 98, okay. 98, so. Um, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it's our okay. 20th anniversary this, okay. this year, All so right. which is pretty exciting. So there was a couple of things that really shaped, you know, kind of the development bar. So my role as a counselor provided me a vantage that I thought was so valuable for classroom teachers that they didn't have. So I had a sense of who the student was and what you were interested in. And you know what, you weren't doing your homework for math because you didn't like Mr. Hanks, but you really were pretty good at math. But I had that information siloed with me and the teachers that were seeing them day in, day out didn't have that information. So I thought we need to break up these silos of the school as well as get everybody on the same page that we've all agreed on what our belief system is and we're all using the same language. So BAR is based on two pillars. One is building positive intentional relationships and those relationships are both staff to student staff to staff as well as student to student and I think that in particular that staff to staff relationship is a really critical component to when you're improving a school climate because you need to have your staff be healthy and be kind of engaged. The other piece is using real-time data. Data is both the SIS system where is a student missing assignments, is a student having SAS. a the student information system. Okay, SIS. So, okay. SIS. So okay. I need classroom teachers to have a much broader view of who the student is, but I also need all of those classroom teachers to really start noticing and 
recognize that data is, has your friend group changed? Are you really passionate about basketball? Are you not wearing a winter jacket and it's January in Minnesota? So I mean, a lot of qualitative. A ton of as qualitative. As well as quantitative. Absolutely. And I need that information shared within adults. I can't have one adult be noticing things and just kind of go, well, that's odd, without having that be shared with other adults. So if you train your staff to be using these positive relationships and data, I was confident that students would do better. Walk me back one step, BAR. Yes. What does that stand for? Building assets, reducing risks. Okay. So it's really about making sure that all students are thriving. Well, this is it's really exciting work. And I'm struck by the notion of um, people, teachers and students, uh, and our schools being in real silos so that there's not a whole lot of communication or relationship building across those silos. and. Your intentional intervention here that you developed at St. Louis Park was really about breaking down those silos and putting people into relationship, teachers with teachers, but teachers with students, and then students with students. So talk about um, um, what resistance did you have in the beginning? This is, you know, you're talking about a, a large comprehensive high school, right? Correct. Okay. And I think the literature is replete with examples of efforts to transform comprehensive, especially urban high schools that uh, don't lead to a, a lot of success over the years. So you, you have an intervention here in one of the most difficult, challenging of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So how did it, how did, how did you get in the traction, the work, and then what is it actually about BAR? So there was a couple things. One was, how did I get traction is this has been developed by educators. So in many ways, like if I, I knew I needed a mechanism to be building those relationships. So there's an SEL curriculum, but to be very candid, I would develop lessons and I would bring it to the most resistant teacher. And I would say, would you do this? And if he would not, or she would not, then I would say, well, then how can I revise it? Because I need you to be engaging in this um, relationship building activity, which is gonna be 30 minutes a week, that is both gonna be about building relationships and it's also gonna be about that qualitative data. I need that information and I need the student to know who you are. So when you're delivering this, this is not you doing something only one direction. I need you to be doing the activity also. So that way this, you know, this one of, the activities we do in the beginning of the year is what's on your plate. So you're going to write down the things you do for pleasure. You're going to say, I run, you know, I'm training for a marathon, I have two kids. So the adult is going to share what they're doing, just like the student is. So if the student is sharing, I have, you know, two part-time jobs and I love playing baseball and I help watch my siblings, if that first assignment doesn't come in, I'm not going to necessarily, the teacher's not going to make assumptions that the student didn't care. They're already going to have a context of, boy, I know they had a baseball tournament last weekend and I know these other things are going on, so it just has a way to humanize the environment. Yeah. But back to how did I get traction is anytime I've ever built a lesson, I bring that to the teaching staff to say, is this something that you'll do? And as we continue to expand, I continue to do that. So it really is an educator-developed initiative, but it's been refined by educators because I think that often within the system, you have the clearest view of how to make sense of it. So you must have had some people that were really resistant in the beginning. Mm -hmm. The change literature would suggest that uh, you kind of leave them alone for a while and mm -hmm. start with the the pioneers, the ones that are really willing to try something new, and then the ones that are, quote unquote, in the literature, early adopters. Mm -hmm. Did you have that kind of strategy? And, and 
How did you finally get to the, the really intransigent resistors? So at the school I was at, we did this across all teachers. And I'll be honest, lots of resistors. The way we engage them is the data. So like right now, um, we're in over 80 schools. Every school has had a significant change within the year with an average of a 35% failure rate drop. So the per percentage change of failure rates has been 35%. That data is why people chose to be in this profession. So we, when you keep leap, getting that data back to them, they'll engage in the process. But they need that feedback loop to know that what they're doing is making a difference. So there's kind of twofold. It's lovely if we can get the early adopters. We were working in some really large schools in California, and I will say I think a number of those early implementers were the early adopters, but the teachers also love it. Yeah. And so then the other people choose to participate because not only are the students doing better, the adults are talking about having a better working environment. So, but to your point, you know, I think the low-hanging fruit and those that are most willing is fantastic to is work with. Is it voluntary in the beginning? It's, um, it's been dependent on the administrator, okay. you know, so it really is some schools have chosen to, the administrators chosen to go, you know, grade-wise. Others are, well, let's try to pilot this with, a, you know, yeah. a, a certain group of teachers. But it's a certain contagion amongst the teachers where they see it working. And I like what you said about, you know, you're really getting to why teachers became teachers, which is to make a difference for kids. And if you can show them this really does make a difference right. for kids they've been struggling with. Right that turns them around absolutely okay yes. well tell us more about I know there you've been mentioning these curriculum units I mean that's mm -hmm. the eye time as you call it yes. and that's one of eight strategies mm -hmm. so tell us more about the the eight strategies that compose the bar process and the eye time being one of those and what that means but all of them I sure will. so you know first of all I think the, I mean the eight components I would say um, are not parallel, like some are belief systems and some are actual kind of actionable items, but there's really eight components to the model. So the first one is this idea of the whole student. So that really kind of once again falls to this belief system, but I need, you know, kind of everyone in the school to be recognizing that for the student to be successful, as a math teacher, I can't have you only be concerned about how they're doing in math. I need you to be also invested in how are they doing in physical education, you know, also involved in what's happening to their kind of broader lives. So this idea of a whole student needs to be a shared belief that that's something we're going to talk about. I think another key piece is um, we do professional development and coaching. So the bar model itself is generally professional development and coaching. So the what's unique about I think our work is I believe so strongly that educators really are um, incredible professionals as well as capable of really transforming our nation's education system so if a school says I'd like to take bar on they're gonna have two days of professional development and that's gonna be done by two educators one of the educators is doing the bar model at their school so these are people in the field where I'm you know I'm going to train you in Baltimore and I'm doing the same model in Dallas. So they're current practitioners at their school and then one of those individuals that was their um, trainers will become their coach for the year. So they are then their coach and they are having virtual coaching at least weekly, some more frequently than that, with four on-site visits. And then that's, that is a cycle that continues for three years. But that professional development and coaching really provides a mechanism for um, educators also to have a, a role in education where they're not leaving the classroom. So they're still doing the model at their school, but they're training other schools in the summer and continuing to, to coach them throughout. Huh. So that, 
that's kind of a, a, a unique piece. Okay, and so that's uh, two of the strategies. Yes. So the iTime curriculum, as you referenced, I do have to laugh a little bit. So when I developed this at St. Louis Park, you know, I was not planning on having this be a national phenomena. And so I had said as the ninth grade counselor, I'm like, okay, guys, this is all about them. Pronoun I. This is way before iPhones, anything else. I said, 30 minutes a week, we're just going to talk about you. It's all about you. So this is the pronoun I time. Right. So that's how the, the term I time came to be. And so it really is a time for the students to be able to, to reflect on themselves and talk about themselves. And that's the time that we're really working on those relationships. So that's 30 minutes a week. It's also a way to get that qualitative data, you know, in terms of what is a student passionate about. That's not done in an advisory period or with someone that's not their core teacher. That's done by their core teacher. Because I need that math teacher to be the one who's brokering that relationship, who has this context of the student, and also the student know who that math teacher is. So there's gonna be a higher level of trust, kind of going back and forth there. Um, the other piece is, when you hit strategy four, it's having these cohorts of students that we can are able to discuss as a team of adults. I don't need the students to be traveling together. I don't need, need to have it be like a middle school model, but I do need to be able to have at least three adults be meeting weekly and have a shared group of students they can discuss. Because I certainly know as, as working in schools, if in fact you don't have, I don't have Hannah in my class, I don't necessarily want to have you spend a lot of time talking about Hannah because I'm not going to engage. Yeah. So working with the schools to make sure when those adults sit down, the commonality is the student because I know they already have their departments. You know. So these are teachers from different subject Subjects. area Correct. that would be meeting as a team and they'd have the same students that would be going through their different subjects. The majority area. of their students need to be shared. Yeah. So we work with the school to help that back end schedule so those kids don't have to travel together during the day. It's just that when they sit down at the end of the day, those teachers are going to have the majority of their students are going to be shared students. So that's, I think, an also a key piece in terms of what changes in the environment because our um, conversation is not going to be curriculum. Our conversation is really going to be focused on those students because that's what we have in common when we're sitting down together. Um, the other kind of key piece is going to be when I'm sitting down, we provide a mechanism for those teacher teams to meet. A unique piece of that is it's a strength-based meeting. And I say it's a strength-based meeting, that's very concrete. So when we discuss a student, we always reference what is the student's strength that we will be leveraging moving forward. So even if the student isn't passing any of their courses or doing typical school behaviors that we see as thriving, as adults, we absolutely have to be able to identify what is a student's strength and how are we going to move that forward. I will say at times that can be more challenging than people yeah. would, would recognize. And I have a bit of an anecdote. There was a science teacher once and there was a student who was highly disruptive and not performing in any of the traditional ways and he was the person in charge of that student and they're like what's his strength and he's like I don't have anything he's like you have to give me a week I need to try to find a strength right now I can only think of all of the things that are not going well so he said I started to become really attentive to watching he said and I noticed that he often would hold the door for another student that when other people were walking in he said, so I started to applaud him for that. He said, and then I noticed that when he would go up to get a worksheet, he would drop a couple worksheets off on other kids' desks. He said they wouldn't necessarily acknowledge him. He, he's still causing this disruptive behaviors. He said that I'm giving him positive feedback. He said, so then I shared that with the other 
teachers I was working with, he said, and then we all started to notice these different things. He says, and either our perception changed or he really became much more, you know, attuned, he said, but we legitimately saw the strength where if that hadn't been something that was mandated, he said, I think I'd have gone through the entire year not seeing a notable strength. So when we talk about that, that's a very actionable, real piece that isn't you know, necessarily that easy. Identifying strengths and giving kids positive feedback around those strengths, which in turn causes or supports the student in deepening, expanding absolutely. those strengths. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the other piece is when we do those team meetings, every school we ask that they calibrate their students. The calibration is a, uh, a student who is categorized at a zero means they're thriving. Everything seems to be going great. All the adults aren't seeing anything. A level one student means something is a little off. You know, Joe's been late a couple classes, not skipping, but late a couple classes. Some of his work seems sloppy. He's turning his work in, but it seems sloppy. So there's just like something's a little off. So if, that, if you're a level one, one of the teachers is going to intervene with Joe that week and they're gonna be able to either kind of draw attention to Joe to so say. So you catch these issues early and intervene early. Absolutely, so within the week, there's one of the team members that's gonna talk to you. So if nothing else, you now know that other adults are noticing this and their early behaviors. A level two student now is grades are dropping, they're skipping full classes. So that now means the three of us are gonna come up with a plan. So the three of us are gonna say, here's what the plan's going to be all three of us are on point that we're going to try to correct this behavior, see what's going on, provide the support, see what's happening. A key piece is level three students. Level three students are students that we've now identified. This is not a school-based problem. There's a housing issue. They could be homeless. There's substance use. There's a, a larger community issue. Level three students tend to be the students that teachers talk about if they identify things and quite frankly the most well-meaning math teacher is not going to be able to fix this and they end up feeling discouraged right. not successful so we ask that a level three student actually is um, then referred to to risk review which is one of the other components and risk review is the community interfacing group so what that does is both provides the student the appropriate resources to get support, but the other big thing is those classroom teachers want to find that information out because they have a place to bring it. So many times in the past, you know, a classroom teacher is like, I don't want to know that. I don't want to be up in the middle of the night going, I don't know where Joe's sleeping tonight. Now what do I do with that information? To do anything right. About it. Yeah. And so in particular, a lot of our failure rate changes are level ones and level two students. Because those classroom teachers can do really well with making those shifts with level ones and level twos. And level threes, they need community resources. The expectation for the classroom teacher also changes because the classroom teacher now may say, they may not pass my class. There's so many other things going on in their life. My goal is to keep them engaged with me, yep. have them come, have them feel safe, have them not feel you know, embarrassed when they came and didn't do their work, because I know that other things are happening and they're getting the supports they need. And so I no longer am gonna necessarily be like, where's your homework? Rather than, hey, I'm really glad you came. Yeah. Let's kind of do what we can do today. Yeah. So that risk review component is a really 
kind of a critical piece for the student, but it's also a critical piece for the staff to be able to, to get those supports. This is really an implementation of the multi-tiered system of support. It is, yeah. and, and, but using a whole student yeah. you know, yeah. lens, you know, and where it's And it leads not. to community interaction. I think that's another piece that I'd love to hear you talk about. But it also, I mean, the whole notion of community schools, et cetera. I mean, you yes. really are building a lot of those pieces into this work. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it really is kind of taking the best practices and, and putting it orchestrated in a way that, as we've said, can be replicated. You know, that you know, a teacher can train another teacher to do this, and here is the system to be able to do that. Because that the, the seventh piece is engaging families. And so there's just a lot of overt um, uh, strategies to get those families engaged and in particular that strength-based approach one of the expectation is right away in the school year every um, adult is reaching out to say something strength-based to those families you know which is once again just fantastic as you hear these stories and actually had um, we had a coach who was up on the East Coast and she happened to be at Thanksgiving and she has a nephew who's had lots of struggles in schools and he was going to high school for the first time and at Thanksgiving the family was talking and how this teacher had called to say that you know things had started off so well and the whole family was so excited and then she found out it was a bar school and so she knew it was an actual prompt that that was but what an impact that that made that that was their Thanksgiving conversation that they'd, they'd never had a positive kind of outreach and then this last piece is making sure administrators are engaged you know that you need to really both have the administrators engaged at the school but another piece that what bar does is really network our schools together so um, um, Rob Metz who's our deputy director was a former superintendent um, is working with a superintendent in California and they're running a administrator um, professional learning community a virtual team so people can strategize together so those eight strategies once again some are belief systems you know some are um, kind of you know more actionable pieces but it is a and they're a all integrated and you can't do four out of the eight no. you've, you got they got to be all there they do right yes talk about you know because you've been at this for 20 years um, impact mm -hmm. these sound like really solid strategies but you have some proof for this uh, yes. pudding right yes we do so I'll go back to the, the beginning you know um, that in 2010 I, I'll be forever appreciative for the i3 competition i3 in investing in innovation so I actually was part of the Obama Duncan administration the senior advisor to Arne Duncan was a part of um, the conversations beginning the development of I3 tan tangentially uh -huh. but um, it was one of the most exciting things I think we did and you are again an indication of just what a wonderful effort that was so tell us about I3 and how it's worked for you and helped to in fact support your work. So first of all a huge thank you for, for being part of that because it, it really has been able to my understanding is they were looking for practitioners that were doing things that were effective you know and so this was 10 years after we'd been doing this at St. Louis Park. So St. Louis Park now is on this fantastic trajectory things are going well and I was thinking this should work anywhere so it really kind of tags into our, our tagline or our model so same students means all students same teachers I believe strongly that educators are able to make the changes that are necessary to have their school be successful and then better results I'm all about measurement you need to be able to demonstrate things but I thought this should happen any place this is you know so when I wrote the first um, development grant for I3 um, I had said I would work in an urban district in California and a rural district in Maine because I was working in suburban 
Midwest. So I'm like, this should not be dependent on geography or size of school. And so we got that first I-3 grant. And um, what it enabled us to do is a really high level of study. So we did a within-school randomized control trial. So we have half of the students assigned to adults that we're working with, that we're going to do professional development and coaching with, and half the students are going to have school as usual. We're not touching curriculum. We're not touching pedagogy. The school may win the basketball championship. They may have a tragedy, but it's the same building, so we can really call out is bar the thing that's making a difference. And at the end of the year, the students that were in bar both had higher, higher standardized test scores on NWA MAP, um, as well as they had higher credits earned, as well as they reported a variety of kind of um, um, experiences within the school, like they stated their teachers, you know, expected more from them, had a higher expectation of rigor, but they had more supportive relationships, which then teed us up to earn, earn that next grant. So that first grant basically said, would this model work other places? And the answer was a resounding yes. I, I want to hear that story about the second grant, but I want to make sure to tease out of that conversation around the first grant. You, your kids that were in the uh, treatment group yes. uh, had significant academic gains. Correct. Yet this was not an academic intervention. Correct. In some ways, this is a social-emotional relationship intervention, right? It is. Which underscores the importance of the foundation of social-emotional learning to then be the platform that allows for academic learning, and you really demonstrated that. That's exactly right. I mean, we really are not changing anything in how they're academically approaching you know, their instruction yet the students are doing significantly better. And I think a key piece is not only are all the students doing better, what we're seeing is that students who are black, Latino, and free and reduced, their effect sizes are even stronger. You know, which I would say as a school counseling you know, perspective is because these students in particular are really um, responding well to these relationships, you know, and having this attentiveness of what's going on. So that's a key So piece. you went on then to go for another I, I3 grant. Okay. I, I did. So I'm like, proved our point. And so then, you know, many said, well, anomalies can happen. Maybe this isn't really a thing. You know, let's, let's try it again. So we received a validation grant. And what that pushed us to do was a couple things. One is we went to really diverse settings. So we are working in big urban districts in Dallas and in Boston, as well as um, rural districts in the Appalachian region. So it, we just kind of went scattershot across the country. So in many ways, basically, if someone said, I don't think it's going to work there, I was like, well, as an educator, we should test it, because I don't want to say that it will if it won't. So we also worked in some high-performing um, schools to be able to you know, show that. So we've had 11 more within school randomized control trials. AIR is our evaluator, and we are resoundingly having the same impacts kind of over and over again, that students are experiencing a, a, a stronger um, kind of connection to the school and outcomes, but so are the teachers. So we're having a lot of teacher outcomes, but the students are performing better, you know, so I think that's a, a key piece. And so that was not enough. You went after a third grade. We did. So I'm like, okay, so now let's, you know, Again, give us I3. a go. I3. So we were the only model to re receive all three levels of the I3 funding. And what is the third level? Scale up. So um, we right now will be in 103 um, schools this fall. Um, so kind of coming from in 2010, just the, the one in, in St. Louis Park. 
with the goal being of 250 by 2021. And so um, all the schools that have implemented the model are having really you know, um, dramatic outcomes right away in that first year. So that's, that's kind of where our story's at. So that I3 funding has been, I think, so helpful to be able to have other educators be able to you know, test their work as well as spread their work. So I want to get into some of One of the things that strikes me is that, you know, there's a lot of attention now to um, the importance of cultural competence, uh, especially with a, a teaching force that is overwhelmingly white compared to the students they're teaching, whatever. Um, how, does, how does BAR fit in with that? And uh, do you specifically and intentionally address that notion of cultural competence? Talk to me about that. We do. We have a very um, strong commitment to equity, and we do training on equity, but we also, um, the model itself lends itself to equity. So one of the biggest pieces back is data. So we coach the schools, and they have to run their data in mass, but they need to run their data by subgroups. So if I am your coach, I need to see that subgroup data when it's actionable right away. And if there are disparities in terms of, you know, um, black or Latino students, that needs to be something that your teachers are actively addressing right away. The relationship piece also is a really key piece, that we need to make sure that we're providing context and ways, both training for the adults to be able to, to connect, as well as in some ways, there's a lot of discomfort. So I, I want to be really clear, when schools bring this on, there can be discomfort in the beginning of the year because we are now familiar with how what the failure rate looks like in your classroom versus my classroom and if in fact there's anomalies how do i reconcile that i had a really wise administrator who told me kind of very early on he didn't believe that teachers could hold on to their identity and be a good teacher unless they could um, identify students or kind of define students as either being not capable or not motivated so i'm a good teacher if they're not doing well they're either not trying or not able this model disrupts that because if in fact I see that the student isn't you know doing well in my class but they're doing well in your class right. I now no longer can say well they're lazy because they're not lazy for you so what's happening kind of with me so a number of administrators have said I've had lots of resources being provided to my teachers who weren't willing to access them because they didn't see it as being a need that they had so the fact that they're working with their peers in this way also speaks to the point that you have to be super attentive to those relationships, which is why we really work on those trust relationships within your adults. So that amongst way, amongst the teachers, amongst the teachers, and that's with a, the exactly. It's a key piece. So that way, there's not a defensiveness or you know, I can own. I may say, I don't think he's connecting with well with me based on my gender, you know, and th that. But he's connecting well with you. So could you talk to him about my class yeah. Yeah. and not have that feel shameful or embarrassed? Just like I need him to. Do well, and I'm not catching. You know, I'm not connecting with them. You, you create an environment which is safe, mm -hmm. but also powerful in terms of goodness. I can't deny right. that this can be done, or that this is possible. That this kid can learn. It's just maybe I'm not doing it the right way. That's exactly. And right. the teacher owns that in a way that she, he feels okay about it. Right. And it's not they're, punished or, no. or branded or anything like that. Because there will be other students that do connect well. I mean, I think that's one of the pieces that I think teachers start having, feel permission about saying, where it's like, he's not connecting with me, you know, and I'm going to keep trying. But in the interim, 
he's connecting great with you. You know, you've coached his older brother, you know his family, can you call him? Can you talk to him? Because I really, I need him to do well and this can't be about me and my ego. I need him to engage. In some ways it's a strength-based model with the adults as well. It is. The view of colleagues, yeah. so in terms of the teacher surveys. Yeah, tell has, me about these yes. teacher survey results. Yeah, so the teacher surveys have been really interesting. Um, in particular that what we found some really, really large effect sizes on the kind of teacher collaboration and view of colleagues. They really are viewing their colleagues in a very strong, positive way and see them kind of as notable allies, and in particular be between departments. I think the other piece is their voice within the school um, tends to resonate more. So what we've heard from administrators in the past is if the social studies department comes forward and says we need this change, it often can be, you know, that's going to be, take something away from science. Like it's going to be kind of adversarial, where if these teams of teachers come forward, they're coming forward on behalf of the students. We have a much more kind of unified voice and they feel much more actionable, you know, because and a shared vision, it's really. a shared vision, it's a shared understanding that this isn't the English department or the math department or the social studies department, that this is, you know, all the departments coming forward to say this is something that our students need. And so we're having a lot more kind of administrators engage in a broader way. And part of it is the administrators say, I get these data reports every month. Um, and, he's, and all of the teachers know what the data says. And in many ways, I'm held to a standard to take action on it because it's transparent. Yes. So if, in fact, we have a, either a large subgroup population that's not doing well, or if there's a department, if a lot of the students aren't passing science to say, and everybody knows that they're not passing science, if that principal doesn't go talk to the science department, all of the staff knows that. You know, so and, it, and the science department's feeling a little sheepish and maybe more ready to have that conversation. Right, and so they can then, you know, be able to say, you know, here's where our stumbling blocks are. But it's a much more candid, open conversation because it is, you know, kind of this very transparent environment. And in the context of providing support so that people right. can get better, right. not just blame, not blamed at all, but Absolutely. feedback that says, hey, here's a problem, how do we address it? Yes. Talk about how does it change, it, it positively impacts relations teachers with teachers mm -hmm. and certainly teachers with students. Right. What about teachers with administrators? Have you seen in your data research uh, impact on that relationship? We have. It's, it's been very interesting because with doing these within school randomized control trials, it's the same principle, yet the teachers that are in this bar model are viewing their principles as much more capable, much more responsive, and much more effective. Um, and that's, I think, largely based on they are feeling like their voice is being, being heard versus kind of in that traditional way where they're not as collaborative and they're still working in their silos. But it is fascinating that it's the same person and half the school's going, you're great. You know, while the other school's like, eh. So this is a real inducement and uh, in motivating factor for administrators, principals to get into this because it en enhances their impact. It does, yes. They really have a, a way to kind of spread their other pieces. Yeah. Uh, you've also got some more recent data around um, because somebody could say, well, you're mainly dealing with freshmen, right? Correct. Uh, how do we know that, yeah, okay, by the end of freshman year, they're doing well, but what happens sophomore, junior, senior year? Do you have some impact ultimately on graduation and impact beyond? So, Very exciting that we've got our first cohorts of, of schools that are kind of 
completing their first four years of bar. So we've been able to roll that out now for our schools in particular in California, Maine, and Minnesota. And we have really significant um, impacts on, on our graduation rates. So both in terms of statewide average, most of our schools hit the 90th percentile in terms of graduation rates kind of for overall. And our subgroups, yes. Well, like in particular in Minnesota, um, we had the state average is 64% um, for um, African-American students. And then at St. Louis Park, we had 93%. You know, so we are continuing to both have all the students be able to graduate um, at a higher rate, but in particular, those subgroups are. So that the theory that lots of research has been down, you know, if in fact those ninth graders can earn their credits, form a connection with the school, you know, in many ways kind of, you know, be able to bond with the building um, and no adults care about them, they should graduate within four years. You know, we're really excited to be able to show that, yeah. that that's true. You're really validating that ninth grade is so critical and if we can identify kids and have those relationships and identify where they're having difficulties and intervene, it can impact the rest of their lives. Yes. I think the other piece is rarely did um, high school teachers only teach ninth grade. Yeah. Um, and so in this change in terms of being a strength-based approach, collaborating with your, your peers yeah. in a different way has impacts kind of throughout the building. Right. So even though the structures, like in terms of the cohorts in different pieces, often are, you know, kind of siloed in one grade level, that belief system and those approaches are kind of infusing without, kind of throughout the entire school. I, I had a principal um, came and talked to me and said that I knew that one of the changes had happened in our school when I had a teacher kind of rush up to me in the hallway and said, okay, I know you won't talk to me until I first tell you David is really talented at art. I know he's talented at art. And then proceeded to say all the things that were not going well. He said, but my staff knew unless you can tell me something that's strength about the student, yeah. we're not going down this conversation. He said, like those for me were big telltale signs of I've changed the culture of the school, that yeah. we have to know what's going right about our kids yeah. and be able to use that and be able to say, okay, so if he's talented at art, what can we do to re-engage him, to get him kind of engaged here? Yes. I wanna, I wanna talk a, a, a little bit about how people could get engaged with sure. BAR. Uh, but before we do, maybe we need to just go back and talk about the kind of research you've done, this randomized control group. Um, I mentioned that I was involved in the beginning of the Obama administration and the conversations around the I-3. And one of the interests that uh, the department had was that we brought to bear on education the most powerful and impactful kind of research. And certainly in health and medicine, randomized control groups are the gold standard of research but very little of that was was being and still is being done in education but that's precisely the kind of research you've done that this is not just correlational but this is really randomized so talk a little bit about what that design is and the power of it because it really brings our profession into a, a comparative relationship with medicine where they've been doing this for years right and it was interesting when we started off and they asked us to do this, it, it was interesting because many schools felt like that wasn't possible, either in terms of a scheduling kind of implication or in terms of community acceptance, you know, in terms of how to, to do this. But to your point, what it does is it takes away all the noise because if you have one high school compared to another high school, 
that high school may win the you know football championship. So that's going to maybe set a different culture in place that had nothing to do with anything that the school was doing. Or the school may have a tragedy, which similarly isn't going to necessarily reflect things. So really being able to be in the same school building where, once again, they have the same access to technology, they have the same you know, kind of teaching staff, the same culture, and being able to just, because we're not working with the students, we're just working with the adults, being able to train half the adults is, I think, a really powerful way to be able to say, is this the difference? Is this the thing that's making a difference or not? So the, the barriers that existed, at least initially, although I've now worked with a number of other organizations, is they said, well, you really can't build a schedule to support that. Where I was like, ooh, I was a high school counselor for years. I can build a master schedule to support most anything. If I can get singleton classes in place, you know, I can certainly figure this out. So I think having the fact that um, I was a school person, you know, I think was helpful in terms of being able to set that up. I think the other piece in terms of the community is we weren't taking anything away. So it's, you know, we're not removing anything from the school. And in some ways, I also explained, you know, many schools roll out technology or they roll out different pieces. I said, this is basically a way of rolling something out, but we can measure it. Because I also would tell the school, if this isn't working for you, then don't do it, you know, for everyone else. Now you just, I mean, work with a small group of, of people. So that's so, been helpful. So if a student the first year was in the control group and didn't get this bar mm -hmm. set of interventions, yep. the next year they could. They could, absolutely, because, yeah. you know, um, it continued. I mean, the, the biggest challenge, or one of the biggest challenges we had was keeping it con contained. And so... Um, Teachers learned about this and wanted to share it with their control teacher friends. You know, so that was one of the, the notable challenges that we were trying to, you know, kind of deal with. But it was a great problem to have because yes. it was that teachers really liked it and were like, that's great. Just try to keep it on this side for the year. The contagion of a good idea. Exactly. And spread. Right. How does the school get into this? Mm -hmm. Is that possible now? Oh, absolutely. So we, um, have a website, so you know that's kind of a, a, a key piece. But www.barcenter.org. Barcenter.org. Um, yes. Okay. Um, so that's a kind of a nice way to be able to to learn information. But on there, um, one of the first things that schools often like to do is have a webinar, and so we will have. Um, coaches or kind of a variety of people do a webinar with the school to be able to explain here's what it is a lot of schools visit other schools I mean so that's one of the nice things too and now that we're um, working in some sh Chicago schools this next year um, otherwise you know we do a lot of you know kind of visiting other schools but um, we're both still doing our very last round of research you know in terms of um, the, the scale-up grant this next year so if there's there's interest um, we would love to continue to to talk to the schools. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your having this conversation with me uh, and with us through this podcast. Is there anything I should have asked that didn't ask that you'd like to say? I think the piece that's so important that schools really recognize is that their ability to change their culture is really kind of the talent is within the school. I think that recognizing that they these schools are making tremendous changes in terms of, of their, their pieces and that, that this can once again be the way that the school becomes as well as it was the reason that educators chose this profession. Yes. I'll go back to kind of tapping into that natural kind of inclination. I think that's worth underscoring. I, I, that's under your bar yeah, uh, logo. Yeah. It says same students, same teachers, better results. Mm -hmm. So you're not talking about exporting teachers or 
getting different uh, students or whatever. It's the same students, the same teachers, but what changes are relationships yes. and the culture, yes. and in turn, the results. Yes. That was Angela Jarabek from the Bar Center. Any school or district interested in learning more can visit barcenter.org. That's B-A-R-R-Center.org. For more information about TURN and CEC, visit turnweb.org and cecweb.org.